you. All right, would you make your way uh, back to your seat if you haven't already? I love getting to watch all of you greet one another. You can have a seat if you're not sitting uh, already. This is week six of a series that we've titled uh, Pitfalls. We're looking at Proverbs chapter six. Over the past few weeks and even moving forward, this whole series, if it is your very first time or first time in a while, uh, we're looking at Proverbs chapters one through nine. And essentially, uh, you could say we're walking verse by verse through that, but we're really just taking a chapter each week and looking at each one of these chapters. And it's titled Pitfalls because the book of Proverbs is uh, a collection of writings, specifically Proverbs one through nine, of talks from a father to a son to try to get him to avoid the pitfalls of life. A definition of a pitfall is an unforeseen trap or danger. It's something like you see in the movies that looks normal, like a normal path, but when you walk over it, it's an empty pit and you fall right in and you're trapped. And there's many areas of our life that can, uh, lives that can look like that. There's many topics that Proverbs covers that can be a pitfall. It's an unforeseen danger. It's an unforeseen trap. And this father to this son or this writer to us wants us to be wise enough to spot out the unforeseen traps and dangers that come into our life. And we're going to be looking at the first 19 verses of Proverbs chapter 6. But before we read that, I want to give a big uh, thank you to the two guys on the teaching team uh, that have filled in the past few weeks to allow uh, me and my family some time to rest, uh, some different uh, trips that we've been on in representation to our body uh, at the convention and even at Passion Camp this past week to hang out with our students. Uh, For some of you, uh, a teaching team approach may be a little different. And so I want to just spend a few seconds uh, just saying like, why would we uh, or why would I as the lead pastor share the stage or the opportunity to open God's word to each and every one of you in some regard? Well, I want to give you two reasons from two verses in the book of Proverbs. I feel like it was fitting. Uh, in Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says this, where there is no guidance, a people fails, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Second verse, you already see it there on the screen, Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And practically, through Proverbs and just the opening of God's word, we don't want to just limit it to one voice. I don't have that many things to say, if I'm being honest, all right? And we would spend a very short time if I was just telling you everything I knew. But our goal ultimately is to hear what God says. And we want to share and uh, develop other communicators, other teachers of God's word. We want to hear from multiple perspectives from within our body. And we want to learn that our teaching is not from an individual, but it's from God. And I believe an easy, just practical way we do that is by having a team approach to pour over the scriptures over our body on a regular basis. Now, my primary calling as a shepherd and teacher and leader is to open God's word on a regular basis, but I'm grateful for our elders and uh, the other two guys on the team to be able to do that and fill in in my absence uh, without missing a beat that we get to hear God's word in a very practical and life-giving way of seeing Jesus in the scriptures. So I want to say thank you to that in that. If we want to talk about that more, we can talk about it in the lobby or something like that. But week six of pitfalls. As you turn there, hopefully you're already there, I want to ask you, a question. Have you ever been watching a movie 
uh, or a TV show, a reality series. If, I know some of you probably watch that. I don't. I'm just kidding. My wife makes me watch a few. Uh, or something like that. And thought, if I was on this show, what character would I be? And has that thought ever led you to go to a BuzzFeed quiz to find that actual answer out, right? Or you maybe been scrolling on Facebook and it's like, which Disney princess would you be? And you're like, I got to take this quiz. Or which Marvel superhero would I be? Or whatever character would you be? Or maybe a BuzzFeed quiz isn't what you would do, but maybe you would just ask your friend or your significant other, hey, if I was on this movie, what character would I be? You know, hoping they say like the rousing hero that saves the day. But rather they point out the fearful uh, one in distress that has a, a short temper and a quick mouth every now and then. You're like, I think you're that one. And you're like, oh, I wasn't hoping that's who they'd point out. Well, I was curious this week sitting in some airports waiting on our flights for the uh, uh, characters. And I took a couple BuzzFeed quizzes for this sermon intro. And I was really hoping that on that Marvel quiz that I would get Thor or Captain America only to find out that I'm Groot or the Scarlet Witch. It's fun. One of my favorite TV sitcoms is The Office. So I took that quiz too and I was thinking, man, maybe I'm Jim, Stanley even. I'm good with that. Not Dwight. And that's exactly who I got. I got Dwight. So don't judge me for that. All right. So, or the last one, uh, Disney character. What Disney character would I be? Luckily, I'm Hercules. Okay. So a little redemption in that. Well, why do I say this? Why do I intro this? Well, in Proverbs chapter six, you're gonna see the father point out three different characters. Three different characters in Proverbs chapter one, or chapter six, verses one through 19. He's gonna point out three characters that we're gonna look at in each dealing with a very different topic of life. It's gonna feel like we're teaching three different sermons this morning. But really, what he's trying to get you to see is not ask the question, which character would I be? But actually, if you watch movies well, and you ask this question, what can I learn from this character? What can I learn from this character? How can I relate to them? What can I take away that's positive from them? What can I learn from their mistakes by? And if you're watching movies and watching them critically, hopefully you ask some of those questions. And that's exactly what the father is trying to get the son to do in introducing three characters with three different topics of life. And ultimately, we're going to ask from each character three different questions because I couldn't do more than three, right? So three different questions of each one. So let's dive in. Proverbs 6 uh, verse 1, it says this, my son... If you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you have snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, and for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. What you're going to see here first is the first character is the one we've already been introduced to. It's who this letter is actually written to, my son. And what has the son done, if you will? What the son has done is he's put up security. Well, you're like, well, what is that? What does putting up security actually mean? Well, this would be a modern day equivalent of co-signing a loan for someone. 
And the father is concerned about the son co-signing this loan, putting up security for who is this other person? Your neighbor. Or we can know a little bit more about this person. At the end of verse one, it says, for a stranger. You see, what the son has done in this moment is he's co-signed a loan for someone he really doesn't know that much about. And he's made himself vulnerable, financially liable for someone else that he may not exactly know their intentions. And so this is what the father instructs. Verse three, do this, save yourself. Go and plead with that person that that debt is owed to. He says, plead urgently. This word literally means to badger them. Wear them down. And why does he need to do this? Because this feels a little bit awkward in church talking about money sometimes. But why? What's the, what is the, the first thing? We're going to use this acronym together on each one of these. So you can ta- if you're taking notes, just write MAP at the top of your notes. M-A-P. We're going to ask first word, motivation. Motivation. What do you want? That's the question. What does the son want in doing this? So why is this actually a concern? Well, the son is co-signing this loan. He's, he's putting up security for this person because he's trying to be generous. I think we can see this easily in this text. Why would anyone try to do that? He's trying to love this other person, honor them, do this well. But what does this father want of his son? This father wants of his son to allow him and the other person to take responsibility and to take action because the goal is freedom. In verse five, he points out, he says, go and save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. He says, save yourself. The goal is freedom. And the other question we have to ask is on motivation is ultimately, what is the narrative of the scriptures when it comes to our finances or our money or anything like that? Is it to just never help anybody out? It's like, hey, don't help that person out. You don't really know them. No, that's not, it. that's not God's heart. That's not the Bible's teaching at all because what God desires is for each and every one of us to be generous in that regard. But A is action. What are you doing? What is this son doing? In this motivation to be generous, what is he actually doing? He's co-signing this loan. He's putting up security. But what the problem is is there would be no need for a cosigner if this person seeking this loan could actually get it on their own. And for uh, children who are a little nervous about their mom or dad not cosigning for them a car or house, the person that is concerned here is the person that's a stranger. So mom and dad, you're not out fully. I would, I would still uh, seek wisdom in doing this. But here's the issue. Here, here's the root of the problem in this regard. The whole Bible speaks about us being generous with our time, our talents, and our finances. And there's other times that debt specifically is mentioned in the Bible. One instance is Job asked the exact same question. If you don't know the story of Job, Job is a really wealthy man who loses everything because Satan goes to God and says, the only reason he loves you is because you gave him all the stuff. So take all the stuff away. He won't love you anymore. Well, God allows Satan to... uh, come at Job and removes his wealth, some relationships and all these other things. And we get about halfway through the book of Job in Job 17 and Job asks a very similar question. Job 17, three, who will lay down a pledge for me with you? Who is there who will put up security for me? 
I've lost it all, he says. I've lost everything. But the Bible doesn't teach us to never help others. Specifically in the Old Testament, we're instructed to care for widows, orphans, and those who are less fortunate. Old Testament also teaches that the first 10% of our income is to go back to God as a uh, offering to him. It's called the tithe or the first 10%. And then we get to the New Testament, the New Testament principle of tithing, we don't see specifically because what has happened is Paul and Jesus have blown this generosity bubble up so big. They says, you're supposed to be just generous, like overflowingly generous to those who need it. In the book of Acts, we see them buying, selling property, giving for those in need, giving so that they can go plant churches and support missionaries. We see them doing all kinds of crazy stuff with their finances, like what are they doing? Because they're trying to get this message of Jesus out. Paul, specifically talking about a missionary offering in 2 Corinthians 9, says it like this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in things at times, you may abound in every good work." So what's the point? What's the tension? Well, if this is the model of living that God has put from the beginning to the end of scripture is a modeled life of generosity, of of giving, of serving others who are in need, why is the father having a problem with this son co-signing this loan? The problem is, is doing this in this way will put him in further fault to not be able to fulfill these other commands. That what if this neighbor or this stranger he does not know cannot pay in this loan, therefore the son is liable and he has to pay. Well, if he has to pay off this debt that this other person accumulated, he can no longer live generously. What if he can't support his family? The father does not say he couldn't give this other stranger a gift. He doesn't say like, hey, this person needs $5,000. Boom, here it is. Here's $5,000. I have it. You're in need. I don't know you. That's totally fine. Here's a gift. What the father is concerned about is him allowing him to walk into the hand of the fowler, in the teeth of the lion as a gazelle, to trap himself in this to be liable because this other person obviously isn't trustworthy enough for whoever actually has the funds to just give it to him. Because the Bible teaches us holistically that generosity is an ongoing principle that we should model in our lives. The problem just is, is doing it carelessly like this. Because the Bible also talks about taking care of someone else's past debts. Paul, in the book of Philemon, uh, he writes this letter to a follower of Jesus, Philemon, who uh, had a a a worker for him, a a slave in that time named Onesimus. And Onesimus had racked up this debt. He had left, he had abandoned him. And Paul reaches Onesimus, shares the gospel with him, loves him well. He starts following Jesus. Then Paul instructs him to go back and take this letter to Philemon. He goes to Philemon, gives him this letter. And this is how, in verse 18, it says, he says, if he has wronged you, this is the one who left, now he's sending back. This is what Paul says you at all, or owes anything, charge it to my account. 
He says, all past debts, I'm gonna take care of them. I'm wiping him clean. He's, he's a follower of Jesus now and I'm, I'm setting him on a new path. I'm taking care of what he's done. But the problem with this father talking in Proverbs is making himself liable for future debts and risking the trajectory of what his calling in life would be if he becomes liable. Because P is plan. Where is this taking you? It's taking him down this path of carelessness with his finances. It's carelessness because he, his desire is to help this person, but he's doing it in not a helpful way. He's doing it in such a way that could risk the freedom that God and the Father want him to live in. Because many of us, we are enslaved or in bondage to our debt. Because the, the tool that money was designed to be has become a master over us in one of two ways. The first way is when we can't control our contentment and we buy things we actually can't afford. Or we co-sign loans, the same principle applies. We use credit cards like they're a goal to hit, not a limit. Or money becomes our master when we won't give generously because whatever that number is in our bank account or whatever that number is in the next promotion, we have to have it before we feel safe or okay. But God designed money to be a tool to display our heart or reveal what we value in our lives. Jesus says it like this, it's not on the screen, but in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, where your money is, there your heart will be. Notice the order. He says, where your money is, there is your heart. There it is. Because if money is used correctly, it's used to bless others and bless God, take care of our needs and display where our heart truly is. But don't hear me and say that ultimate freedom can be found in using your money wisely. Because ultimate freedom only comes in one person, a relationship with Christ. No matter how poorly or how well you manage your finances, you can't buy or earn your way into God's kingdom. It's by faith alone in Christ's finished work that he alone provides the redemption from the debt you and I racked up. Paul writes it like this in Colossians 2.14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. That if you don't hear anything else in this sermon, that you just got part one, I'm totally good with that. If you just catch this, that Christ is the only way to get to heaven, the only way. Don't take money and forsake Christ. Don't have wise financial principles and forsake Christ. I'd love to have them both because this father and ultimately God wants each one of us to take responsibility, responsibility for our sin and responsibility for how we handle our generosity. And Jesus alone is the only one who can settle the debt that we've racked up when it comes to our sin. If you don't know what it means to follow Jesus today, we would love to chat with you after the service and introduce you to him of how you can follow him with your whole life. This first section is all about responsibility. The sit part two is about opportunity, opportunity. We're introduced to our second character in Proverbs 6, 6. It says this, go to the ant, O sluggard, Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, 
a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Our second person we're introduced to is the sluggard or the lazy person. And parents, this is not talking about your teenager who likes to sleep in on the weekends till noon. Studies show, I looked up one study, so I can't really fact find this very much, but studies show that teenagers need a little bit more sleep than their slightly younger counterparts like the preteens. So teenagers, you're welcome, all right? Uh, That's all they heard. But it's the lazy person. It's It's the person who is the sluggard who is actually against work. That they're so fearful, they're so paralyzed by fear that they don't go out and try to get a job or work in any way. And remember, before we dive into this section, as most of you are hardworking people who have jobs who produce and, and contribute to society, remember the point of this is not to say, am I this character? But it's what can I learn from this character? How can God shape me in the midst of this? Because some of you are thinking in the first section, oh, I'm good with money. I don't need to listen to that part. Or others of you are thinking, I'm not lazy. I go to work every day. I don't need this part. Remember, the point is, is what can you learn from this section? Oh, sluggard. The question is that this father's trying to ask is what areas of your life are you hesitant in? Are you so fearful in that you won't take action towards them? And he directs his son to look towards nature. It's one of the only times that we're done in this way. He says, look at the ant. No one bossing them around. No one lording over them, giving them instructions. They just prepare for winter when it's spring. They're just getting ready for when it will be a drought and they can't find food when they got food. They're just working. They know what they're doing. They're taking action. They are motivated by themselves because they're like, hey, I got to eat. So I'm going to go stack some food up. I'm going to go store this up for when there's not any to be found. So the question is, in all of our lives is, first one, M, what do you want? But the other, the other is the motivation is there's this fear that's underlying it towards the sluggard to not actually take any motivation towards that thing they want. But then there's A, action. What could you be doing? What, what could you be doing? I'm going to direct you today to make a list of things that you could be doing in an area of your life where you're just locked up. And in plan P, where is this taking you? Right now, for this sluggard, if you look at this section of scripture, he's lying there. He's just staying there, folding his hands, resting. And then poverty or lack will come upon this person like a robber, like an armed man just to take everything else. There's one other time in the book of Proverbs uh, that specifically the sluggard is addressed and it says it like this in Proverbs 22, 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. And this is a little satire in this verse because there's a lion outside. And the way he says it with streets is talking about like Main Street, a city street. And it's a little ridiculous because he says, the reason I can't go outside is there's a lion on Main Street. What might happen if I do that thing? If I submit that resume, if I take that step of faith, what could happen? I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to do this. 
What could happen if you went over to your neighbor's house and invited him over for dinner to share the gospel with him? What could happen? It's all this list of possibilities that leads the sluggard to just freeze up, to lock up and say, you know what? Let's just take a nap. What areas in our lives are we sluggish? You may not be sluggish at your job, in your family, but there's something that you're just, fear grips you. You're afraid to take that step, whatever that step is. Whatever that nudge uh, from the spirit of God is to do or to go, to move, to do something. Some of us may actually be to get a job. You're afraid of rejection. You don't want to submit that resume for that promotion or that other place of work. You're afraid to go and make that ask of making friends or asking her out on a date. You're just afraid of what might happen. You're, you're like the proverb 22, 13 sluggers. There's a line on Main Street. I might die. No, there's not a line. There's no line, okay? Take that step. What do you want? What, what could you be doing? What's one thing this week that you could take a next step towards whatever it is God's leading you to do? Because there's always a trajectory. There's always a de- destination with every area and aspect of our lives. The first person is the son who's concerned about responsibility the father is. The second one is about opportunity, about us taking opportunities and not wasting them as God leads and directs us in our lives. And the final section of Proverbs uh, 6 in this part is about dealing with all of our relationships. Verse 12 says it like this. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks his eye, signals with his feet, points his finger, with perverted heart, evil, devises evil, continually sowing discord. There is calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. From the first person of the son to the second person who is the sluggard, to the third person who is the worthless one. Worthless literally means good for nothing. Wicked means doomed for disaster. But why is this person worthless? Verse 13 says that he desires evil. Motivation. What do you want most? In your heart of hearts, Like you drank a truth serum and you had to answer this question. What do you want most in life? Were we honestly able to sing the worship songs we sung this morning? All I want is Jesus. Take everything else. All I want is Jesus. But was there this still small voice in the back of your mind or in the bottom of your heart saying, but do I? Because what this evil person wants most is not to follow God, but rather to be God. Their desire isn't willing to come under anyone, much less Christ. They just want the power and the glory and the fame all for themselves. And each one of us, what can we learn from them, have a shadow side, a desire beneath the desire. Because the wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks his eyes, signals his feet, points his finger with a perverted heart. He continues to sow discord. That act of sowing is intentional. And most of the time, sowing is linked to farming and irrigation and planting one tiny seed at a time. 
One small seed. One small seed. One small seed. Notice how the father talks about this worthless person isn't that they come in with an army to murder everyone. It's the simple, small, crooked speech. Wink of an eye. A slight signal with one's feet. Point of a finger. Intention in the heart. And it's a continued ation of a moment by moment building of disunity that in one fatal moment they will be broken beyond healing. There will be a line that will be crossed that is too far. So what do you want most? A, action. A little different wording of this question. What path are you taking? Notice in the book of Proverbs that there's these two paths, almost like a relating to Genesis 1 and 2, where there's these two choices, these two trees. There's the good tree and the bad tree, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the good tree and the bad tree. And here, in the what path you are taking, we get another explanation in this section with the final section. Proverbs 16, or Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, it says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. It's not a great list to read, but the positive of that, God's really clear at what he hates. God hasn't hidden from us the desires or the delights, or, nor the things that he doesn't tolerate. Notice the vices in verses 16 through 19. The first five are linked to a body part. Pride in the eyes. Forms of deceit in the speech or in the tongue. Violence in the hands unchecked desires in the heart evil in the feet actions once again and then the last two are a type of person who continually sow discord among the community they just want division division, division remember one again it's not am I a worthless person but all of us can relate to one of these qualities in some way. Do we need to check our eyes, our speech, our actions, our wants, or how we're interacting with one another? Because the, the father doesn't leave the son in this chipper way of tying a bow on it to be like, but it's all good. Don't worry, it's fine. No, he wants him to have to sit in this list and meditate on it. And I believe we should sit in this section and just meditate on it to ask the Holy Spirit, like, what can I relate to too much that I don't like? Like me taking a Marvel quiz saying that I'm the Scarlet Witch, like, I can honestly say that was not an exciting moment for me, all right? Like, I was like, wow, that's hurtful. If you've ever seen those movies, she's not a fun character, Okay. But Tim Keller says proverbs are like hard candy. 
that if you bite down on them, you may get a little goodness or you could break your tooth. But the right way to enjoy Proverbs over your life is just to allow it to sit, to soak, and allow the goodness to spread. So for us, in these Proverbs, in the way that you're living your life, your motivation, your action, and your plan ultimately, P, where is this taking you? Is for this worthless person, it's taking them towards calamity. A moment of no turning back. Without any warning, suddenly it overtakes them eventually. And in each one of these, we have to be reminded of the only one who had perfect intentions, perfect action, and ultimately succeeded in a perfect plan, who was Christ himself. His ways were always pure. His actions were flawless. And his rescue plan for you and I was successful if we place our faith and trust in him. And the father of Proverbs desires his son to be set up on the right path, not needing an over-shepherd or someone directing him, okay, take this step next. But that he would be filled with enough wisdom that he could put it into action in his everyday life. And for us, by the Spirit of God, allowing it to work in our lives, that we may be able to choose the right path and avoid the pits in areas of money, relationships, opportunity, work, and so many more. Because for some of you, the reality is those three topics, you're like, okay, good. I don't really know how I relate to any of those characters. I know what you made a good attempt, whatever. But at least those three letters, I hope they sit with you this week. Motivation, action, plan. If you could ask those three questions over every area of your life, like what do I actually want here? What am I doing? And then where's this taking me? Every area of your life, may you check it through motivation, action, and plan. Because Proverbs says in Proverbs ten seventeen, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray not just yourself those around you as well so if you would would you get into a posture to respond to the Holy Spirit or just to give space to the Holy Spirit to ask if you want to bow your head and close your eyes because that's the posture you need to focus you do that if you want to look at me that's fine you get whatever posture you need in this regard I just want to lead us through an M.A. P in this prayer posture to be able to respond to what God's word says. Motivation. Could you pray something like this? Holy Spirit, can you reveal to me the impure desires in my heart and in my life? Maybe in the area of finances, you have unchecked contentment. And you just simply need to pray, God, would you help me learn to be content in what you've given me, what you've blessed me with me. Or in your relationships, would 
Would you pray, God, may I have pure motives with the way I engage other people. I wouldn't secretly be seeking to make much of myself or shine a spotlight on me or tear others down. Maybe there was a specific body part that related to a negative word that the Father says in Proverbs that you could pray, God, help me with the pride that's in my eyes. With often the evil that's in my hands. Now, A, action. Pray something like, Holy Spirit, would you help me transfer this knowledge into wisdom? Knowledge is knowing information. Wisdom is how you live out the knowledge you know. Would you pray something like, Lord, I know what your word says. Help me put it in play in my life. Maybe your action is to get accountability in your life or to join a journey group or maybe your action step is simply to go across the street and knock on that neighbor's door that you've lived in the neighborhood a little too long and the greeting's out, but you just need to know you need to do it. To invite them over for dinner, to get to know them, to love them well, because there's people who need to know the love of Jesus across the street, across the city, and across the world. Would you make that ask, that invite to that neighbor or coworker? Would you delete that app or unsubscribe to that streaming service because it incites something within you that is not of God? And P is plan. Would you pray something like Proverbs ten seventeen? to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the trajectory of my life and help me walk the good path. Help me spot the pitfalls of my current plan of where I'm headed and help me seek out and employ your wisdom in my life in every area. Help me desire your desires. Put in play your wants and go where you and you alone are taking me, whatever it costs me. May I be able to sing the lyrics, all I need is you, all I want is Jesus and genuinely mean it and live it. Holy Spirit, we pray over this body and all those under the sound of my voice, God, that you would help us this week Reflect on our life with a simple motivation, action, plan. God, that you would help us map our lives, that we would walk the path that leads to life. God, we pray that we would honor Jesus in all that we do, that we would seek to give him all the glory, all the credit, that you would reveal to us our heart's desires and we would continue to worship you with our whole lives. In Christ's name, amen.